to Art of Life, Frank Forza here in Las Vegas. It's going to be a short episode. I want to talk a little bit about entrepreneurship. I want to talk about work. I want to talk about making work your passion, right? Not just a job, but a passion. Not just for profit, but for passion. If you're lucky, you will build a life around something you love. And it makes me think, remember I was a newspaper journalist for 10, 11 years or so, and I was a workaholic. I used to sort of live in that newsroom many late nights. There were nights where I slept in the newsroom. And I prided myself on how hard I worked. I was working those 70, 80, 80 hour plus work weeks. And what was really at the heart of that? Why was I doing that? And the reason I think I was doing it is I was alone. Writing is a very lonely endeavor. It's solitude. It's best done alone. And as there's an old saying, many a good book was written on an empty stomach. The starving artist writes some of the best books, produce some of the best works. The lonely artist, the afflicted artist, produces some of the best art because that art pours from what? Their heart. The word heart has what in it? Art. In the word. Heart. He art. And so I have a saying, when it's bad for your heart, it can be good for your art. It can be very productive. And I was as a journalist, but what it really was is me crying out for attention. It was me crying out for recognition. Me wanting to be a superstar journalist, me wanting people to say, hey, good job, or he's special at this. Why? I was craving that validation, that acknowledgement, that attention, because why? Because I had a big, huge void in myself. But I lacked confidence. I didn't have self-love. I didn't feel loved. I didn't feel appreciated. And don't kid yourself. This is not just psychobabble, Freudian, whatever. We all need it. You need to feel loved. I don't care how tough you are, how John Wayne, how much swag you have. You want to feel loved. You operate at your best when you feel loved, when you feel worthy, when you are confident. You will be your highest self, male or female. Don't be so tough, guy, that you can't. Appreciate self-love. Don't be so tough because I don't need any love. That's just a, that's just a sappy, effeminate thing. No, it's not. You need it. And when you don't get it, there's a lot of people crying out, doing a lot of crazy stuff out here in the world. Lost souls. Because they just have a huge void in them where love should be. So for me, that whole entrepreneur thing, and I just immersed myself in it as a journalist. And by the way, I was a journalist, professional writer, worked for UFC for five years, traveled on the road, wonderful, interviewed a lot of fighters, did video interviews. It was great. Got to train with a lot of the fighters. And then I went into entrepreneurship, tried to run my own business, be a media consultant. Wow, teach jiu-jitsu, wow, that was a wake-up. I mean, for me, I've been the artist my whole life. Art comes natural, and art 
overflows from me. And I love, I feel so blessed and so gifted on the art side, but the business side, man, you grow up, mom's rarely around, dad's not around, you know, nine different families, 11 different schools, just never learned that business thing, it's very intimidating, the, the most I learned about business was at the UFC, the Ultimate Fighting Championship, working under Dana, working under Petitas, just watching what they were doing, just watching the moves they make. That was educational. And then I decided after the UFC, hey, I'm going to give it a go, try to build my own business, my own jiu-jitsu academy, media consulting, teach the mind jitsu, art of mind, the mindset stuff, the grit stuff, the mental toughness stuff. I know that so well. I've been through so much. I was like, I can do that. I'm born to do that. Man, the entrepreneur thing is so hard, so difficult. And it's going to beat you up and bust you up unless you had a great mentor, unless you come from money where your parents taught you to manifest money. Maybe you get lucky and read the right books, people are whatever. That's that's all well and good. But to me, the best experience in business is either you have a father, a mother, a mentor. You grow up in the family business. They teach you business. They When you're in school, your parents are aware and cognizant and they, they put you in a lot of business courses, et cetera, so you can learn at a young age or you have a lemonade stand, whatever. It's a great way to learn it. Very, very few do. But other than that, you're an adult. You're oh, you're north of 30. I tell you what, you just it's just hands-on. You basically probably the best business education most people are going to get, unless you got it from a family or a mentor, the best business education you're going to get is just running business and making mistakes and getting busted up and getting beat it up beat up and, and learning everything not to do learning for yourself what works what doesn't because the landscape's constantly changing under you so entrepreneurship wow it's not for the weak of heart it's a rough space and i'm reminded i'm here in vegas I mean, we have you know people more and more people want to eat healthy it's the skin capital of the world. Everybody's fit. You have Cirque du Soleil. You have people here that, whatever, they're in an industry. They're a cocktail waitress. They're a whatever, bikini model, whatever. And so everybody, a lot of people are cognizant of fitness here and in working out. And so you just think, well, wow, what a great place to have a healthy restaurant or serve organic food, etc. yada, yada, yada. Can't go wrong opening up a healthy food place in Vegas, right? Easy money. Well, here's a cautionary tale for you. There's a very big, I think there are probably 7,000, 8,000 square feet in Henderson, Nevada. They had a beautiful location, a prime location in a, in a wealthy affluent zip code. And they they had the you know sunlight the, the interior of their restaurant was beautiful supposedly the the big money behind this restaurant this healthy restaurant uh supposedly what i had heard they had worked for mcdonald's before they had been some high level people at mcdonald's that's what i heard they had a lot of money behind them obviously and so they came out and thought well they're they're just going to kill it right they're just going to just take over everybody there'll be lines out the door for their healthy food, right? Because everybody wants to eat healthy and everybody's waking up to enlightened eating, et cetera. And 
So easy money, right? And just went by that restaurant today. We are permanently closed. Sign on the window. Been closed for the last couple weeks or so. They're done. And these were smart business people who did their homework and they'd had success before. What I'm told, they had a beautiful restaurant. The food was good. But they obviously made some big mistakes. Now, I am not here yet to teach you how to make a million dollars or how to make a billion dollars. That's not my thing. That's not my rabbit hole right now. I will, the day will come maybe sooner than later where I will teach people how to make money or what I've learned about making money. That day will come. That day is not yet upon us. So I'm not going to waste time. I'm only going to teach what I know, what I've experienced, what I think might help some of you, what I think will shorten your learning curve. That's what I'm going to try and teach. That's what I want to share, right? So the business, the, the real Jedi business stuff, I'm not there yet, but I can tell you some things not to do. And I believe that I know where this restaurant went wrong with their big money and their successful restaurateurs. And they still fail. That's how rough business is. Why did they fail? Well, number one, they had a seven, 8,000 square foot facility coming out of the gate with a new brand name of a restaurant no one had heard of came out of I mean no big mistake man brick and mortar business high overhead and they're definitely paying north of 10 grand a month for that spot there's no way I was in there there's no way they were making that kind of money they were not making that kind of money it would take them years to be able to cover a couple years to be able to cover that north of 10 grand per month Okay, not including employee salaries, et cetera, and, and food stocks and all that stuff. They had really high overhead, and they had overestimated how many people were going to come there. Number two, they, you know, they didn't know the customer. That was huge. They did not know the customer. They came, again, to my knowledge, they came from a McDonald's background, not a healthy eating, not the organic space, not the conscientious consumer in my opinion, from what I could see, and I, I ate there probably 10, 12 times, and the food was good. It was overpriced. Another big mistake for them. The food was overpriced. They just thought, well, it's organic, whatever. The, the menu didn't have, I mean, they, they really could have done a better job with, the, you know, with what they were serving and, and doing something more unique. I, I thought they could have done a better job with the selections for sure. But their other failing, you know, the, the third thing would have been the menu um, it could have had better offerings. But the first thing was way, way, way too much overhead coming out of the gate. Number two, they didn't know the customer. Know thy customer. When you go into a business, make sure you know the customer. There's a difference between when you're serving people GMO, fast food, whatever, you're running a McDonald's or a Carl's Jr., uh, Burger King than there is running an organic spot. The organic consumer, the he- the super healthy, conscientious consumer is a different consumer. Someone like me. So someone like me who's the organic tank who I live this and I and I know Whole Foods. I know a lot of the, I walk those aisles so much. I know a lot of those products. I read a lot of labels. Someone you need someone like me in the room when you go to admit what's going to be on the menu. Who's the customer? 
thinking about to me I would bet anything they had this restaurant had big money behind it they had the three to five year business plan they had great business plans they had great logos they had great branding they had um, you know they know restaurants they have money they didn't know the customer they don't know the customer they don't know the mind of the customer by the way the UFC Dana White Dana White's preeminent genius to me, other than he has the it factor, right? He's a character. He does have the it factor. He's very driven. Is that Dana White knows the mind of the fan. He knows the mind of the UFC fan. That's really the secret sauce. Him combined with, say, Joe Silva. When Joe Silva was there, the matchmaker, they know the mind of the fan. They know what the fan wants. He always says, I make the fan. The fights fans want to see. So important. And Steve Jobs knew the mind of his consumer. That was a secret sauce. So you open a business, first of all, don't have the high overhead. Don't do that. I know I know great restaurants here, great sushi restaurants that I loved. Too much overhead. They couldn't survive. They just couldn't survive long enough. Wonderful ambiance, bam, they're out of business. The restaurants I've seen do well, and even uh, like the Samba Latte Coffee here, um, Samba Latte Coffee is just, an institution. They do a great. They 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 started their own brand. The entrepreneur is north of 50 years old. A guy named Luis Oliveira, Brazilian guy, incredible entrepreneur story. Again, didn't open his first business till he was 50. Took all of his you know, almost all of his life savings. Him and his wife, and bam. I mean, he is just creating an incredible coffee experience here in Vegas. He's going to go national eventually. Well, what does he do? He's passionate about coffee. He's from Brazil. Coffee's in his blood. His great-granddad had a coffee farm. So it's in his blood. He's from Brazil. He knows coffee. He's got all the inroads and connections to coffee in Brazil to get great coffee. Um, it's in his blood. He's passionate about it. And then in addition, he's there in the restaurant seven days a week. He's in. He's got four or five different cafes here, Samba Latte Cafes, and he's in them. You got to be there to make sure that passion is spread and that passion is brought to every part of the operation and that you can't just leave it to your employees just they, who don't have the passion. For them, it's a job. The person for whom it's a passion has to be on the premises a lot. I see that with a place called Greens and Proteins here. They're doing really well. They've got five or six stores. Another place, the organic, healthy eating options. Greg Jermalowicz and my boy and, and uh, his brother-in-law, Patrick. And what? They're there. They're passionate. They get it. They know the consumer. They're on premises. They work their butts off. And that's how you make the thing. That's how you make them fly. Shane, there's a guy named Shane Stewart here who runs a restaurant called Panacea. Great. I mean, very unique. They have a high overhead where he is in Boca Park, Summerlin, a really nice high-end area. But Shane Stewart knows the customer well. He is the customer. He does a great job with the food. He's very well-connected. He's there on the premises a lot. Same thing. He's passionate about it. He's living it. It's not just a for-profit grab like I saw with this restaurant that just went out. It's a for-profit grab. They're like, oh, everybody loves healthy food. Let's just bet on that and let's do a good business plan and let's take our restaurant experience. Like, eh. Nope. Passion matters. Passion matters. Lead with your passion. And try not to go crazy with the overhead normally. Try to start really small and build incrementally. That way you can make mistakes and they're not fatal to your business. Because you're going to make mistakes. That's how you're going to learn in business. You're going to make a lot of mistakes. Remember Dana White used to say, I know every mistake you can make 
in this business, Frank, because I made them. You're going to make the mistakes. Stay so small. Don't have a ridiculous overhead. Have the smallest. Just start out of your garage or whatever, like the Gracies did when they came here for jujitsu. Start in a garage. Or you're in Gracie. Start small. Start online. No brick and mortar, right? A lot of a lot of businesses, I think GNC is going under because they're brick and mortar. They're closing tons of stores, right? Because why? Most of the sales are online now. Online, you don't have the same overhead. You can last a lot longer because business is like, business is almost like a how long can you drown? And you want to succeed in business, like, well, how long can you drown? How long can you stay afloat and doggy paddle? That's a key to making in business. It's just sometimes it's just how long can you last? If you can last long enough and make the mistakes but still be standing, build a loyal following, figure out the right way to do things, lead with your passion. You can do it. So lessons in entrepreneurship today. I can't teach you yet how to make a billion. We're not there yet. How to make a million. We'll get there. But what I just told you matters. The passion matters. Start small, build small, build right, and have the right motives and be be there, be present. You be down in the trenches. You got to be there. You be down there leading. You lead the way with your business. Don't just hire a bunch of people to ask them to do whatever. You got to lead the way. You set the example. You infuse the passion into the operation, the passion that will move mountains, not just money grab. Life Jitsu, Art of Life, Frank Forza, www.frankieforza.com. Email frankie at frankieforza.com. Thank you so much. See you soon in the next episode. Don't stress. Be blessed. To Art of Life, Frank Forza here in Las Vegas. It's going to be a short episode. I want to talk a little bit about entrepreneurship. I want to talk about work. I want to talk about making work your passion, right? Not just a job, but a passion. Not just for profit, but for passion. If you're lucky, you will build a life around something you love. And it makes me think, remember I was a newspaper journalist for 10, 11 years or so, and I was a workaholic. I used to sort of live in that newsroom many late nights. There were nights where I slept in the newsroom. And I prided myself on how hard I worked. I was working those 70, 80, 80-hour-plus 80 work weeks. And what was really at the heart of that? Why was I doing that? And the reason I think I was doing it is I was alone. Writing is a very lonely endeavor. It's solitude. It's best done alone. And as there's an old saying, many a good book was written on an empty stomach. The starving artist write some of the best books, produce some of the best works. The lonely artist, the afflicted artist, produces some of the best art because that art pours from what? Their heart. The word heart has what in it? Art. It's in the word. Heart. He art. And so I have a saying, when it's bad for your heart, very productive, and, and I was as a journalist, but what it really was is me crying out for attention, it was me crying out for recognition, me wanting to be a superstar journalist, me wanting people to say, hey, good job, or he's special at this, why? 
I was craving that validation, that acknowledgement, that attention. Because why? Because I had a big, huge void in myself. Because I lacked confidence. I didn't have self-love. I didn't feel loved. I didn't feel appreciated. And don't kid yourself. This is not just psychobabble, Freudian, whatever. We all need it. You need to feel loved. I don't care how tough you are, how John Wayne, how much swag you have. You want to feel loved. You operate at your best when you feel loved, when you feel worthy, when you are confident. You will be your highest self, male or female. Don't be so tough, guy, that you can't appreciate self-love. Don't be so tough that I don't need any love. That's just a... That's just a sappy, effeminate thing. No, it's not. You need it. And when you don't get it, there's a lot of people crying out, doing a lot of crazy stuff out here in the world. Lost souls. Because they just have a huge void in them where love should be. So for me, that whole entrepreneur thing, and I just immersed myself in it as a journalist. And by the way, I was a journalist, professional writer, worked for UFC for five years, traveled on the road, wonderful, interviewed a lot of fighters, did video interviews, it was great, got to train with a lot of the fighters, and then I went into entrepreneurship, tried to run my own business, be a media consultant. Wow, teach jiu-jitsu, wow, that was a wake-up. I mean, for me, I've been the artist my whole life. Art comes natural, and art overflows from me. And I love, I feel so blessed and so gifted on the art side, but the business side, man, you grow up, mom's rarely around, dad's not around. You know, nine different families, 11 different schools. Just never learned that business thing. It was very intimidating. The, the most I learned about business was at the UFC, the Ultimate Fighting Championship, working under Dana, working under Petita, just watching what they were doing, just watching the moves they make. That was educational. And then I decided after the UFC, hey, I'm going to give it a go, try to build my own business, my own jiu-jitsu academy, media consulting, teach the mind jitsu, art of mind, the mindset stuff, the grit stuff, the mental toughness stuff. I know that so well. I've been through so much. I was like, I can do that. I'm born to do that entrepreneur thing is so hard, so difficult, and it's going to beat you up and bust you up unless you had a great mentor, unless you come from money where your parents taught you to manifest money. Maybe you get lucky and read the right books before, whatever, that's that's all well and good, but to me, the best experience in business is either you have a father, a mother, a mentor, grow up in the family business, they teach a business, they, when you're in school, your parents are aware and cognizant and they, they put you in a lot of business courses, et cetera, so you can learn at a young age or you have a lemonade stand, whatever, it's a great way to learn it, very, very few do, but other than that, you're an adult, you're, oh, you're north of 30, I tell you what, you just, it's just hands-on, you basically, probably the best business education most people are going to get unless you got it from a family or a mentor, the best business education you're going to get is just running business and making mistakes and getting busted up and getting beat up. Beat up, and 
and learning everything not to do, learning for yourself what works, what doesn't, because the landscape's constantly changing under you. So entrepreneurship, wow, it's not for the weak of heart. It's a rough space. And I'm reminded, I'm here in Vegas, I mean, we have, you know, people, more and more people want to eat healthy. It's the skin capital of the world. Everybody's fit. You have Cirque du Soleil. You have people here that, whatever, they're in an industry. They're a cocktail waitress. They're a whatever, bikini model, whatever. And so everybody, a lot of people are cognizant of fitness here and in working out. And so you just think, well, wow, what a great place to have a healthy restaurant or serve organic food, etc. yada, yada, yada. Can't go wrong opening up a healthy food place in Vegas, right? Easy money. Well, here's a cautionary tale for you. There's a very big, I think there are probably 7,000, 8,000 square feet in Henderson, Nevada. They had a beautiful location, a prime location in a you know, wealthy, affluent zip code. And they they had the you know sunlight. The, the interior of their restaurant was beautiful. Supposedly, the the big money behind this restaurant, this healthy restaurant, uh, supposedly what I had heard, they had worked for McDonald's before. They had been some high level people at McDonald's. That's what I heard. They had a lot of money behind them, obviously. And so they came out and thought, well, they're, they're just going to kill it, right? They're just going to just take over everybody. There'll be lines out the door for their healthy food, right? Because everybody wants to eat healthy and everybody's waking up to enlightened eating, et cetera. And so easy money, right? And just went by that restaurant today. We are permanently closed. Sign on the window. Been closed for the last couple of weeks or so. They're done. And these were smart business people who did their homework and they'd had success before. What I'm told, they had a beautiful restaurant. The food was good, but they obviously made some big mistakes. Now, I am not here yet to teach you how to make a million dollars or how to make a billion dollars. That's not my thing. That's not my rabbit hole right now. I will... The day will come, maybe sooner than later, where I will teach people how to make money or what I've learned about making money. That day will come. That day is not yet upon us. So I'm not going to waste time. I'm only going to teach what I know, what I've experienced, what I think might help some of you, what I think will shorten your learning curve. That's what I'm going to try and teach. That's what I want to share, right? So the business that... The real Jedi business stuff, I'm not there yet, but I can tell you some things not to do. And I believe that I know where this restaurant went wrong with their big money and their successful restaurateurs. And they still fail. That's how rough business is. Why did they fail? Well, number one, they had a seven, 8,000 square foot facility coming out of the gate with a new brand name of a restaurant no one had heard of came out of I mean no big mistake man brick and mortar business high overhead and they're definitely paying north of 10 grand a month for that spot there's no way I was in there there's no way they were making that kind of money they were not making that kind of money it would take them years 
to be able to cover a couple years to be able to cover that north of ten grand per month. Okay, not including employee salaries, etc., and and food stocks and all that stuff. They had really high overhead, and they had overestimated how many people were going to come. To number two, they, you know, they didn't know the customer. That was huge. They did not know the customer. They came again, to my knowledge, they came from a McDonald's background, not a healthy eating, not the organic space, not the conscientious consumer. In my opinion, from what I could see, and I, I ate there probably 10, 12 times, and the food was good. It was overpriced, another big mistake for them. The food was overpriced. They just thought, well, it's organic, whatever. The, the menu didn't have, I mean, they, they really could have done a better job with, the, you know, with what they were serving and, and doing something more unique. I, I thought they could have done a better job with the selections for sure. But their other failing, you know, the, the third thing would have been the menu. Um, it could have had better offerings. But the first thing was way, way, way too much overhead coming out of the gate. Number two, they didn't know the customer. Know thy customer. When you go into business, make sure you know the customer. There's a difference between when you're serving people GMO, fast food, whatever, you're running a McDonald's or a Carl's Jr. Uh, Burger King, than there is running an organic spot. The organic consumer, the the super healthy, conscientious consumer is a different consumer, someone like me. So someone like me who's the organic tank, who I live this, and I, and I know Whole Foods, I know a lot of, the, I walk those aisles so much, I know a lot of those products, I read a lot of labels, Someone, you need someone like me in the room when you go to what's going to be on the menu, who's the customer, thinking about, to me, I would bet anything, they had, this restaurant had big money behind it, they had the three to five year business plan, they had great business plans, they had great logos, they had great branding, they had, um, you know, they know restaurants, they have money, they didn't know the customer. They don't know the customer. They don't know the mind of the customer. By the way, the UFC, Dana White. Dana White's preeminent genius to me, other than he has the it factor, right? He's a character. He does have the it factor. He's very driven. Is that Dana White knows the mind of the fan. He knows the mind of the UFC fan. That's really the secret sauce. Him combined with, say, Joe Silva. When Joe Silva was there, the matchmaker, they know the mind of the fan. They know what the fan wants. He always says, I make the fan, the fights fans want to see. So important. And Steve Jobs knew the mind of his consumer. That was a secret sauce. So you open a business, first of all, don't have the high overhead. Don't do that. I know I know great restaurants here, great sushi restaurants that I loved. Too much overhead. They couldn't survive. They just couldn't survive long enough. Wonderful ambiance, bam, they're out of business. The restaurants I've seen do well. And even uh, like the Samba Latte Coffee here, um, Samba Latte Coffee is just an institution. They do a great, they they've, they started their own brand. The entrepreneur is north of 50 years old, a guy named Luis Oliveira, Brazilian guy. Incredible entrepreneur story. Again, didn't open his first business until he was 50. Took all of his, you know, almost all of his life savings, him and his wife, and bam, him and he is just creating an incredible coffee experience here in Vegas. He's going to go national eventually. Well, what does he do? He's passionate about coffee. He's from Brazil. Coffee's in his blood. His great-granddad had a coffee farm. So it's in his blood. 
He's from Brazil. He knows coffee. He's got all the inroads and connections to coffee in Brazil to get great coffee. Um, it's in his blood. He's passionate about it. And then in addition, he's there in the restaurant seven days a week. He's in. He's got four or five different cafes here, Samba Latte cafes, and he's in them. You got to be there to make sure that passion is spread and that passion is brought to every part of the operation and that can't just leave it to your employees just they, who don't have the passion. For them, it's a job. The person for whom it's a passion has to be on the premises a lot. And I see that with a place called Greens and Proteins here. They're doing really well. They've got five or six stores. Another place, the organic, healthy eating options. Greg Jermalowicz and my boy and, and uh, his brother-in-law, Patrick. And what? They're there. They're passionate. They get it. They know the consumer. They're on premises. They work their butts off. And that's how you make the thing. That's how you make them fly. Shane, there's a guy named Shane Stewart here who runs a restaurant called Panacea. Great. I mean, very unique. They have a high overhead where he is in Boca Park, Summerlin, a really nice high-end area. But Shane Stewart knows the customer well. He is the customer. He does a great job with the food. He's very well connected. He's there on the premises a lot. Same thing. He's passionate about it. He's living it. Not just a for-profit grab like I saw with this restaurant that just went out. It's a for-profit grab. They're like, oh, everybody loves healthy food. Let's just bet on that and let's do a good business plan and let's take our restaurant experience. Like, eh. Nope. Passion matters. Passion matters. Lead with your passion. And try not to go crazy with the overhead normally. Try to start really small and build incrementally. That way you can make mistakes and they're not fatal to your business. Because you're going to make mistakes. That's how you're going to learn in business. You're going to make a lot of mistakes. Remember Dana White used to say, I know every mistake you can make in this business, Frank, because I made them. You're going to make the mistakes. Stay so small. Don't have a ridiculous overhead. Have the smallest. Just start out of your garage or whatever, like the Gracies did when they came here for jiu-jitsu. Start in a garage. Or you're in Gracie. Start small. Start online. No brick and mortar, right? A lot of, a lot of businesses, I think GNC is going under because they're brick and mortar. They're closing tons of stores, right? Because why? Most of the sales are online now. I mean, online, you don't have the same overhead. You can last a lot longer because business is like business is almost like a how long can you drown? And you want to succeed in business, like well, how long can you drown? How long can you stay afloat and doggy paddle? That's a key to making it in business. It's just sometimes it's just how long can you last? If you can last long enough and make the mistakes but still be standing, build a loyal following, figure out the right way to do things, lead with your passion. You can do it. So, lessons in entrepreneurship today. I can't teach you yet how to make a billion. We're not there yet. How to make a million. We'll get there. But what I just told you matters. The passion matters. Start small. Build small. Build right. And have the right motives. And be, be there. Be present. You be down in the trenches. You got to be there. You be down there leading. You lead the way with your business. Don't just hire a bunch of people to ask them to do whatever. you got to lead the way you set the example. You infuse the passion into the operation, the passion that will move mountains, not just money grab. Life Jitsu, Art of Life, Frank Forza, www.frankieforza.com. Email frankie at frankieforza.com. Thank you so much. See you soon in the next episode. Don't stress. Be blessed. So continuing on the sexual transmutation front, very upsetting, by the way. I don't know how. I'm, I'm so sucky at technology 
and I record, and then as soon as I get a phone call, it just, bam, just kills that podcast, and it won't let me record over it. I'm sure it does, but I'm just not technologically savvy. It's, it's amazing. I got creativity off the charts, and just technologically unsavvy. It's very frustrating. Anyway, back to sexual transmutation, right? So I had this beautiful, it's 25 years old, this beautiful New York woman, Liz. Wow, she was amazing. You know, you don't, you just don't meet men, women like that. They're not a dime a dozen, I'll tell you that. And uh, I was really gaga over her. But, uh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't have sex. I had to explain it to her. And that's the thing. When you, when you decide not, when you, if you have a girlfriend and you tell them, hey, I want to make a conscious decision, I don't want to have sex. People automatically think there's a catch. Oh, he's gay. Oh, he must have a disease. People Start thinking all kinds of crazy things, and that doesn't make any sense to me. They, they don't. Nobody thinks, "Hey, you just must be a really nice guy, right? You must just be a really nice person. You must just be a conscious." No, that's people just don't think like that. It's like, oh, there's got to be a catch. Same thing in high school when I, there were there were uh, uh, a couple years where I was stopping the women. Right? They wanted to go further, and I was like, "No." Nah. Of course, I was raised at times very religious. I mean, even though my a lot of people in my family weren't around, but at a young age, my grandparents would grab us, snatch us up every Sunday. My brother and I, wherever we were, whoever we were living with, wasn't them, but they'd, they'd find us and take us to church. <laughs> We'd sit in on the sermon and then drop us off when the church was done. Made sure we heard the word of God. And maybe that shaped me. Maybe some of those teachings added up and three years of Catholic school did have three years of that who knows? Maybe that whole Catholic guilt thing was hanging over me. But um So I had had years of my life, I mean, I didn't drink, I was kind of a goody good. I was stopping the women, like, hey, we no no no, let's not do that. So when I read that Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich and I encountered that law of sexual transmutation. Napoleon Hill saying, hey, I've interviewed the 500 or so richest people, and you got to control that. you got to curb that sexual energy. It's so powerful. If you waste it, if you squander it, it'll devour you. You'll be a mess. You'll scratch the surface. You won't, you know, if you want to be a peak performer, if you want to be a high performer in life, values-driven, you really want to do your best to be your best self, then, hey, you got to control that urge. Such a powerful urge. So here I was reading Napoleon Hill's book. I was probably 39 or so years old. And I said, well, you know, it it planted a seed again. I'm like, maybe I need to revert back to to my celibate sexual transmutative ways. And truth be told, I was married, I got a divorce, and when I got the divorce, like a lot of people, I was not ready to rush back into anything. I was hurt, I was disappointed, 
I never thought in my wildest, before I was married, I never thought in my wildest I'd be the kind of person that would get a divorce. I thought, oh, I'm a loyal person, I'm a committed person, I know who I am. I thought, man, these people that are getting divorced, they're just wimps. They just, they're just not tough enough, right? I am. So I really got body slammed when I got that divorce, and of course, we were married, we had a kid, so you know, I got my kid a couple days a week, but I didn't get to see him go to sleep every night, and I couldn't just go over there whenever I wanted, and so I mean, things change, right? You, there's a big luxury when a woman and a man are married and whatever, I mean, whatever your thing is, but somebody who has a kid and you get to go in, your kid's asleep and you can just peek your head in that that bedroom or go up next to their bed while they're sleeping and just stare at them. It's a beautiful thing. You do that whenever you want, when you're, if you're happily married, whatever, and you can go in there whenever you want. You can't do that when you're divorced. Not so... I was very devastated, and I was having an identity crisis, and I wanted to learn. I wanted to grow. I said, you know what? I want to really learn from this, and I want to fix my mistakes. I want to become a better man, and it's probably going to get worse before it gets better, so I did a lot of soul searching, and I wanted, I still wanted the company of a woman I wanted a warm body. I just didn't want the love thing. I wasn't ready for it. I had to go have my guard up. And not only was I not ready for it, I mean, I wasn't ready for it psychologically. I, wa- I wasn't ready for it because I, I, uh, I don't think, to be honest, that we're, that we're very good in love. You have to know who you are. And when you know who you are, when you like that identity, then what your purpose, what your purpose will be easier. When you don't know who you are, your purpose is harder, right? And I've said before, what's your purpose? It's what you'll crawl for. It's what you'll drown for. It's what you'll bleed for. It's what you'll die for. That's what you should be asking yourself when you look for the purpose, not what do I love, what excites me, what would I jump out of bed for. That can work. It can work. I just think for the vast majority of you, better approach is what I said about crawling and drowning. But anyway, I didn't, I was, I was soul searching. I'm like, I have to reconnect to who I am, to my identity, why I'm here, my purpose. So I I did, I I wanted female companionship, but I didn't want anything serious. So I went through a pocket there. I was probably as wild um, then as I've ever been. Now, by the way, I mean, I live in Vegas and I live pretty conservatively, pretty low key. I don't, I, I seldom go to the strip. Um... I live very modestly. Um, I I hardly ever drink, etc. But anyway, I was. So I'll be boring to a lot of you. But um, anyway, I was. I was dating here and there, and and I love women. Love women. I got that Italian blood, that Latin blood, and love women. I love. It's. You know, I would say a world without. I wrote a song once. A world without women. It wouldn't be worth living. It just wouldn't. Such beautiful, beautiful creatures and goddesses. I mean, just amazing. It's like the movie The Prince of Tides where the Nick Nolte character says, look, if you wish you had seven or eight lives apportioned to you and you could have, you could just, I mean, there's just so many beautiful, 
awesome women out there to date and experience. And so anyway, I, I tapped into my wild side a little bit by my standards, right? And to be honest with you, I was out of rhythm. I was out of sorts. I was. My sleeping patterns were irregular. So I wasn't living as Spartan for a couple of those years. I just, I wasn't anywhere near my highest self. I was scratching the surface. One day I just realized, man, I mean, this is fun. I guess it's fun in terms of sitting around with your friends and, you know, and they're like, wow, women love Frank or whatever, you know, for ego gratification. Maybe, maybe it's fun on that level. Maybe it's fun to, you know, meet a new woman and whatever, the newness of it all, the freshness of it all. But it got old. So I went back to that, ah, my old ways, my ways in my teens, the way I was in college, those four, five plus years what I had read in Napoleon Hill's book, The Law says, you know what? I'm not going to have sex. I didn't know how long. I don't know how long. I just want to stop having sex. And I want to stop looking at women like, wow, and wanting to talk to them and wanting to get their number. I want to stop that. I want to go back to being the guy who, if you're married and you're a friend of mine, and if you were to go away for a month to work or you had some emergency, whatever, and you were to have to be away for a month with your wife and kids, and if I stayed there, you would know I will never do anything. I, you, know, you can trust me with your wife, your kids. I want to be that person again. I want to have a higher motives, a higher way, value-driven. I want to be above the flesh. Now, when I talk about this, people say, oh, it's... You're coming from a religious space and some people are turned off. Look, you don't have to come from a religious space with this. Napoleon Hill was not pounding religion or God down anyone's throat when he was talking about it. You'd be an atheist and still, it works just the same. And it has incredible value. Incredible benefit to you. Right? You can decide that. But I'm just telling you, Your focus goes through the roof. Your respect for women or men or whatever you're into goes through the roof. The energy you have for things, your stability, right? To be to have consistent sleeping patterns and and sleep is so important to rejuvenate, to replenish for your mood and you know your mood to have a good mood. Getting up earlier and usually getting on with the day, tackling the day, seizing the day, hopping out of bed with intention. I mean, it makes it a lot easier when you weren't up till 3 a.m., 3.30 a.m., chasing some woman, right? Wasting your time four or five hours of texting for what? For some woman you won't even talk to in three weeks again, right? Playing around on dating sites and whatever, what? For people that are, you know, nothing. And come and go. I want to build something. I want to invest my energy. Time's a very precious commodity. I mean, where, where are we putting our time? Chasing women? Did that. Didn't get the return on investment I wanted. What did I want? I'm like, man, I want 
to be a peak performer. I want to build a business. I want to own and design my life. I want to have financial freedom. I want when my brother calls me and says, hey, I lost my job. I want to say, I want to have solutions. I want to put money in his pocket. My closest friends, I don't want to do that. I want to be that person. Not, oh, not best known for, hey, he's out chasing tail. No thanks. And I want to look at women when I meet, when I meet women. Pe- people that are married, pe- women that are whatever. I want to meet them and I, I don't want to see them as a, as a, as a, as a, a, a flesh or a body or you know, I'd like to be alone with her. I don't want to think like that. Because then they feel that too. And even if they like it, it's like now it just it colors the whole relationship. It, it taints things. It distorts them. I don't want that. I want them to be like, hey, this is a professional deal here. I'm the guy next door. I'm a nice guy. I want to be nice to you. I, want, I don't want to, you know, rush things. I don't want everything to be physical. I want to re- re- maximally respect women and not just sexually objectify them and look at them like that. I wanted to do that. I feel so much. My, I feel so much more at ease around all women now. Beautiful women, whatever, because I don't have the ulterior motives that I have for. Oh man, I'd like to get her number. Oh, I'd love to take her out. Whatever. That was clouding judgment. Now it's just altruistic. It's just, hey, it's just two people talking. It's just one person being nice to another person and genuinely listening to them. No ulterior motive. No, hey, I want to sleep with you. None of that. It's pure. They can feel that and they can, people, and you can just sit there and, and, and now you can talk to all kinds of people. You can talk to, to, to all kinds of women and, and just, and everybody feels really comfortable and the motives are pure. And everybody trusts you around, you know, whoever about, because you don't have all that sexual energy, actually. You're free. You have so much more f- energy to focus on things. So I've been, I haven't had sex for 17, 18 months now and counting. In the first, my experience has been in the first few months, it's hard because you're, if you're used to, sex or physical intimacy like that, I mean, it's going to be hard. You're going to crave it. But the longer I go without it, the less the less I crave it. It's easier. People say, well, you're going to lose your testosterone. Use it or lose it. If you're not having sex, your testosterone is going to go down. And Frank, you're into age defiance, right? And testosterone is really important to that. So by you not having sex, you're lowering your testosterone. You're not... Nah. I'll just tell you right now, that's not it. I, I'm, I guess I'm lucky. No TRT, no steroids, no HGH, no HCG, no creatine. I mean, I do take maca and ashwagandha and, supposed, and bone broth, and they're supposed to be good for your hormones, and then your sleep is really important for your, you know, your testosterone levels, your natural HGH, etc. But I also think it's an attitude. I think I think that some of that testosterone thing is just an attitude. I'm just lucky. I got that East Coast Italian Sicilian, and that that you know I got that fiery side to me too. That intensity, that tenacity, um, that I try to use for positive. But I got it, and that keeps my testosterone up. Jiu-jitsu, the fight sports, the combat sports, thirty some years in that, and and the way that I work out, that keeps my testosterone up. Being competitive, having a fire. 
keeps my testosterone up. I mean, I've went into prisons and I've interviewed the prison inmates in there. And yeah, you have some crazy, you have prison rapes. I've written about that before. You have prison rapes going on in there. I've seen some studies that said that one in five prison watch, I think, that did a study years ago and their estimate was like one in five inmates would be sexually assaulted or raped. Male inmates, that was disputed by the prison people, but that was one stat. But anyway, the vast majority of people in those prisons are not having sex with anybody. The vast majority of them are not, and the majority of them are not raping anybody. So most of them are not having sex, but guess what? When you walk in there, you can feel testosterone and alphaism through the roof. Even the, you know, the 40, 50, 55-year-old people in there doing pull-ups, doing push-ups, some strong dudes in prisons. So even when the, somebody's locked up for 20 years, 30 years, they're still producing a lot of testosterone. And, and most of them aren't having sex with anything. They're still producing a lot of it. Why? Because they're in an environment that where you're on edge, where you need it, where you need to stay sharp, where you need to be alpha. It can be competitive. Something can happen. Something can go down at any point. You've got to be ready. You know, they got pent-up anger. They're in there. they got time on their hands. they got heavy things on their minds. You can still be pent up. Right? You have that little anger, that chip on your shoulder. You can still, you can get testosterone comes from things other than just your sex drive. Right? Anger, competitiveness, fieriness. You're in certain environments where you need it, where you need that edge. That's it. So that's why when you waste it sometimes on meaningless sex, and by the way, when you do that sex thing too, I mean, you have to believe in, in energy transfer. You're taking in, you meet that person, you're swapping some DNA with them. You're going super intimate. You're exchanging fluids with them. You're, you're, you're as close to their soul as you're ever going to be. You're inside that person, right? It's so intimate. It's such an ex- energy exchange there. Why wouldn't, you got to be selective about that energy. You got to be really, really, really selective about it. It's a very precious thing. And the other thing is, for me, just from my vantage point, just we're gonna get, you're going to say, oh, he's being religious, but I'm not being religious. But the other thing for it is, it's just a specialness. I mean, it's like Star Wars, like go where no man's gone before, right? Like, I don't want to go, like, I don't want to be with someone where, like, everyone's been there. I don't, I'm not interested in doing things where everyone's done them. Like, no offense, ladies, but, I mean, you're gonna, some of you are going to be mad at me, but, I, but just me, I'm just telling you how I think. I don't want to do things that every other guy has done and it's easy. I'm not in that. I like to do things where it's like, hey, most people aren't going to do this. Most people won't do this or most people can't do this because they're not going to put the work in. I want to do, I want to be part of things that are special. I want to be with women that are special, that value that. I just do. And if, and if I, and, and you know, if, if, and I'm not religious, but that's just a good way. It's just a conscientious, intelligent way to think, in my opinion. I'm like, oh, people that are lazy with their values want to criticize the rest of us when we have higher standards. Oh, you're, you're wrong. I'm not going to judge you. You do what you want. I'm just telling you how I think. That's how I think. I think when you are reserved with your sexuality, with your energy, when you are reserved, when you restrain not only do you have more of that energy to use for work and, 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 and building a great life, 
But in addition, when you do do it, it'd be with someone special. It's, 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 a, it's a chance, again, like kind of a saving yourself. Say, so, hey, look, very few people made the cut. I'm really into you. This is not something I rush in to do. This is not just some... And other people are like, well, but no, it doesn't matter who I ha- who, how many people you're having sex with. It's just if you just want to be with that person. That's the important thing. That's a special person. Like, meh. Meh. Someone's really special. How about working on saving yourself, you know? Not giving it to a bunch of people and then, you know we get to that space, that that seems to me to be a lot more special than just, okay, you're living with me, but you didn't live with me. I'm sorry, there's just, no, there's other things to it, too. Sorry. If you're offended right now, I'm sorry about that, but it's not intended to offend you. It's just, we're speaking real here. We're talking about real, the way that some people think. doesn't make it like, hey, my way has to be your way, but that's the way that I think. And, I, and, and I'm not saying that every, you know, I'm sure there's rich people who think, oh, who cares? Whatever. Good for them. I'm talking about that's, this is my way of thinking. This is my higher way. Where values do matter. You are your values. Show me your values. The values matter. You're, whether you're a company, you're a person, your values matter. Your values say a lot about you. How you spend your time, how you spend your money says a lot about you. What you do with your sexual energy says a lot about you. Your lack of restraint, right? Wouldn't you rather work with someone, especially in today's climate, wouldn't you rather hire people that have restraint, that are responsible with sex, that aren't trying to have sex with everybody? Wouldn't you rather have them work for you? Don't you think you'd probably have less lawsuits and less problems? Wouldn't you rather deal with people that that weren't looking at you as sexual objects and thinking about that all the time? I would. It's just common sense. So we're running around the world right now has it backwards. Napoleon Hill and his boys and, 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 and the women that he interviewed, they have it right. They had it right, in my opinion. So I'm just going back to that. I'm like, you know, and I don't know. Maybe we'll just take this whole sexual transmutation thing all the way to marriage, to remarriage. There's a that's a distinct possibility. But I can tell you that I highly, highly recommend it. It's just simplified my relations with with women. I feel more pure. I feel like like other people have less power over me now because you make so many bad decisions when you're clouded and when you're just you know, you're, you're interested in sex or those pleasures of the flesh. You make so many bad decisions. You write texts you regret. You say things you regret. You maybe, maybe you hit on women that aren't interested in you and you mistook them and you thought that they were. Just a Pandora's box. It's a lot of things can go wrong. And when you just, when you go to a place of pure motives and People, other people don't have power over you because you don't want anything from them as much. You're like, you really don't want anything. You just want altruism. You're just trying to be a, a good person. You're coming from a pure place, a more altruistic place, and people can feel that, and just so many more positive doors open up to you. So, I would say, listen, you give it a try. 
You don't have to take my word for it. Give it a try. And if you can't give it a try, right, especially if you're single, if you can't give it a try, what's wrong with you that you that you can't control yourself, that you're that much of a slave to your testosterone or your hormones and you can't? Something's wrong with you if you can't. If you can't turn off for three months, six months, even a year or more, something's wrong with you. If you need something that much and, and, and you're that much of a hostage, you're that much of a slave to it. What's wrong? You know, you, you got to have control. So, sorry, I just heard this gentleman yelling and I'm looking at him. He's like, like the freaking melee was going to erupt. It's like, what's that? I'm walking around outside a business district, which is very, for the most part, desolate right now. Very quiet, calm, soothing, perfect place to walk. The occasional car and the occasional guy who's being overly dramatic and yelling to his friend, which I just encountered. But but yeah, I'm in this age defiance thing. I'm in this peak performance thing. I'm in this disease defense thing. It's part of the, it's under the art of life, life jitsu umbrella. And look, control your sexual energy. You squander that and, you know, you just uh, maybe don't have as much drive. Some guys, I just think that if they spread their seed as much as they can, they feel more alpha and they feel like they've got more energy. Eh, you want to, if you think that that's, that more good things come to you and you want to build your life around that, have at it. Make your own podcast. Advocate that. I mean, we've had this debate in the sports world and the fight world, and fighters would say, hey, can I have sex within three weeks of my fight? Will it make my legs weak? Whatever, whatever, whatever. You know, you'd hear people... um, You've always heard that age-old debate... Does it weaken you? Um, even when I was having sex and I was married, I always thought I was operated where I generally would refrain from sex inside of two weeks. Now, I've heard other people say, hey, they were so nervous leading up to an event. They had so much tension, fear, whatever, anticipation. And so they found it beneficial. The release, the sexual release relaxed them and I've heard people say that. Um, you can get your hands on all the studies you want out there. You can get your hands on the, the science. I'm talking about the art of it. I'm talking about the psychology of it. And for me, I do. I find value in the Spartan life, in the simple life. And life is just, my head is much clearer now. It's easier to focus on what matters. It's a lot easier these days without chasing a woman, clouding my judgment. And, and a lot of times dating and dating and dating and then having nothing to show. All text messages back and forth just eating away at my time and 
It's wasting time, no return on investment usually. I mean, if you find a great relationship, then hey, just settle down and uh, that's it. But for me to be running around like I was, nah, I, I feel like so more, I feel like I'm hitting new levels again, I'm growing a lot of positivity. I feel like I treat people better. Um, I like myself better. I feel like the opposite sex has a lot less power over me. I mean, I almost felt like I was giving women power over me because you, you know, you, when you, when you want sex so bad, then you're wanting something from other people. You're you're, they can have a power over you when you, when you need something, you know, so much from someone or you want something so much, they can have power. When you, when you don't want it and you don't need it and you're strong and you're whole without it, then it doesn't have power over you. And that means you have more power over yourself. More time, more power, more energy to do the things that matter, the things to build your legacy, to, to love yourself and then love other people and help other people. Put a smile on your own face, put a smile on other people's faces. And start thinking of the end in mind, begin with the end in mind, start thinking about what's a legacy, what do you want to leave in your life? Do it now, don't, don't take things for granted. Just, oh, I'll just chase women for the next 20 years and I'll just figure out, nah, get on it now. It's hard work, building a legacy, Doing great work, <laughs> it's hard work. You're gonna need all the energy and time you can get. Don't waste it. Don't squander it out there like a lost soul because a lot of that chasing, chasing women, chasing whatever, it's, it's a loser's game. You wind up feeling empty and hollow. Don't get me wrong. I go to the gym now and wow, here in Vegas, I mean, we have so many, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I mean, there's just, I definitely still notice beautiful women. Um, so that, that doesn't go away. It's not like I'm a monk and I do keep my eyes down and stay focused a lot more on the task at hand and what I'm building in my projects. And, you know, I don't watch, I hardly ever watch TV. I hardly ever watch a movie. Um, I put my blinders on a lot, but yeah, I, I still notice I love women. I love, you know, the way women move and just amazing. And I'm always going to love that, but um, I realize, like, I don't have an agenda. I'm not trying to take a woman home. I'm not trying to... I mean, it's just not a focus of mine, and I feel free. Napoleon Hill, Law of Sexual Transmutation. I highly recommend it. It's interesting, I was at a lavender farm, and they had this yogi out there. She had this Shiva lingulum or something, lingam, lingulum. And she was teaching women. She was having a seminar about women balancing their sexual energies. And so they were being mindful of it too. 
and they had their ways and their theories. But it's something everyone should be attuned for. It's a very powerful thing. Pay attention to it. And if, uh, if what I said appeals to you, maybe I'll just plant a seed. Maybe one day you'll try it, and maybe one day it'll be a catalyst for you. It'll be a catalyst for growth, catalyst for, for focus, for empowerment, for freedom, and a way to grow your energy, a way to, a way to utilize even more of your energy, preserve even more of your energy. Life Jitsu, Art of Life. This is Frank Forza. Website, www.frankieforza.com. Email frankie at frankieforza.com. Thank you so much for listening, for your support. Like I always say, uh, try not to be too stressed, and I hope you feel blessed. Be well.